This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. Dekawa Playhouse Episode 26 It's time for Decawatt Playhouse. Let us return to the 1980s and a small liberal arts college in western Pennsylvania. Here, without the distractions of alcohol or intervisitation, students had nothing else to do but amuse themselves with strange radio shows and college bands. Announcer Bot, what have you retrieved from the vaults of history tonight? Classic Radio Theater. The Signal Man. Grove City's Hotspot at 89.5. WSAJ-FM, Grove City, Pennsylvania. No, sir. It's always dark down here at the bottom. 
except for an hour or two in the middle of summer when the sun's direct overhead. The rest of the year you've got to keep the lamps lit on account of the rails being so steep and hard. One might as just as well live in a cave or mine. Here we are. Mind that puddle. I'll leave you there, sir. Just walk along the track till he comes to the signalman's house. You don't need to worry none about the engines running you down. There won't be another one long for a bit. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Uh, Wiggins' is his name, sir. Spelled with two eyes in it, in case it was to mention it in your story. I'll remember. What's the signalman's name? Braxton, sir. What sort of chap is he? No man on the line knows his work better. Does he mind having visitors? I wouldn't think so. He's always willing to pass the time of day, so to speak, when I come by. He's dropped educated. Like he's been to a school or done a lot of reading them heavy books they got without pictures. The old or young? I to say about that, sir. I guess he was middling young and middling old, if you know what I mean. His hair's done a gray around the edges, but, but he ain't got no wrinkles. What did you mean when I spoke of being taken for a ghost? And you said it was the signal man who was the ghost. I was just talking, sir. He does look terrible pale and death-like. But that's from living down here with no sunlight, and it being so damp and all. Just being in the dark and twilight all the time, do that to any man. Made his face white like, like the wax they used to make altar candles from. I see. Well, luck to you, mister. Here. <laughs> What's this for, sir? A couple of glasses of ale at the pub when you come back. Oh, thank you kindly. I'll drink to your health, sir. Thanks. And thanks for your kindness, Wiggins. Uh, don't mention it, sir. It was nothing at all. Good day, sir. Good day. How do you do, Mr. Braxton? My name's Darkin. I'm a journalist. Yes, Mr. Darkin. I'm doing some articles on all sorts of odd things. You think I'm odd? Well, well, no. That isn't the idea at all. But your work, it's different. Not many people know about it. I think it would make interesting reading. Perhaps. You just answer a few questions. Why not? Why? Why do you stare at me like that? Was I staring? Yes. You look at me as if you had a dread of me. I was doubtful whether I'd seen you before. Where would that be? There, by that red lamp at the mouth of the tunnel. What would I be doing there? I'd give a great deal to know. I was never there. I swear to that. This is the first time I've ever been down here. And I wouldn't be here now if a chap named Wiggins hadn't showed me the way. Don't you believe me? Yes, yes, I believe you. But this time it was you who called out. Hello, below there. What do you mean, this time? Just that. This time. Why, yes, I cried out something to that effect. Not to that effect. Those were your very words. I know them well. Well, I don't remember. But if you say so, no doubt that was what I said. Why? Why? Yes. Why did you use those words? Well, because I saw you below. I said, hello, below. For no other reason. Dash it all, man. What other reason could I possibly have had? You had no feeling that they were conveyed to you in any supernatural way? Of course not. Very well. But you must never call out those precise words again, sir. Never again. Beg of you. I don't suppose I shall ever have any reason to. So you may set your mind at ease, Mr. Braxton. Thank you. You probably think I'm a bit touched in the head. No, no, of course not. But perhaps I am. Wouldn't be strange, would it, after all the lonely years I've spent at this solitary and dismal post? I suppose a man gets used to it. Used to it? Uh, it becomes a part of you. 
I've been confined between, between these narrow walls for so long that I feel strange when I go up above and into the town. I feel insecure without them, open to attack and danger from all sides. I breathe easier when I can descend once again into this cavern. I can understand that. They say the criminals who have been surrounded by prison walls for a number of years are practically panic-stricken upon their release. Yes, so I would imagine. My prison is not beautiful, and yet I have a strange affection for these dripping wet walls of jagged stone. I love the dim half-light. My eyes are so accustomed to the gloom. Like my brother the mole, I am blind in the sunlight. But the eternal damp, the cold wind that comes out of that tunnel, the rattle and roar of the shriek of passing trains... I don't mind them. Did you ever read about St. George and the Dragon? Yes, of course. Sometimes think of myself as St. George. The mouth of the tunnel is the entrance to the dragon's cave. Every morning at eight, he rushes out for his breakfast. I can see his one eye gleaming white, one eye coming through the dark, growing larger and larger as he approaches. And like St. George, you will try to stop him. Oh, no, though I could by hanging this red lantern on that post. He's afraid of red light, terrified. If he sees a red lamp, he stops dead in his tracks, and the ground shapes with his trembling. What does your dragon eat, dragon? I don't know. His feeding ground is somewhere out through that cut in the level country. He goes rushing out, throwing fire and smoke from his nostrils and rattling his metal scales in the tracks. Two hours go by, and then he comes roaring back into his cave again. The same dragon? The very same. According to the timetable, it's number 48 that comes out, and number 32 that comes back. I know his voice. It's the very same dragon. He comes out and goes back four times every day. He went out just a bit ago. Yes, I saw and heard him as I was climbing down into the cut. He'll be coming back any moment now. Put your hand there on the track. Feel that vibration? Now, listen. Hear him? Someday his great weight will break to the crust of the earth and the whole world will fall into that hole. His breath is so hot that it withers the grass along his path. When he screams, all the demons run back to Hades and cover their ears. The clang of his metal tongue and his fiery jaws is the sound of brazen gongs. The dragon goes back to his cave. Braxton! Braxton! Get back! Good Lord, man. You need to get away from here. Take a holiday. Anywhere, your nerves are stretched to the snapping point. You'll have a breakdown. I can't go away. I do. There'll be death for someone. I won't be here to stop it. But look here, old man. It's all very well to have a sense of duty. And probably there's a great responsibility on your shoulders doing this job. But after all, the man who took your place might be just as efficient. Efficient, yes. But who would be able to see the ghost? The ghost who warns of danger. Would his eyes be able to pierce the dark and the smoke and read the warnings of the gray ghost who lives in the tunnel? What are you talking about, Braxton? You're shaking like a leaf. Chilled through. So am I. Let's go into your switch house and get out of this infernal wind. Very well. Come. This way. This is a lot better. You've got a snug little place here, Braxton. Yes, I'll put a few more coals in the stove. As though you've done some heavy reading. Economics, history, 
Please pass us the time. French grammar and dictionary. Do you speak the language? In a way, sir. I've studied it myself. I doubt if any French student or native of France would understand my attempt to speak the language. I pronounce the words as I judge they would be pronounced. That's very interesting. Are you a college man? No, sir. I've learned what little I know right here. Really? Is that for you? No, that's for the man at the other end of the tunnel. Take that chair, sir. It's more comfortable. Thanks. Just what are your duties, Braxton? Very, very simple. I change the signal, trim the lights, and turn the handle on the switch now and then. No manual labor. Exactness and watchfulness are about all that is required of you. Yes, sir. There are many long hours when I have nothing to do. How do you pass the time? Reading, studying, and thinking. It's a quiet life, sir. But I've gotten into the, to the routine, and it doesn't bother me anymore. I did it first. First year I was down here, I used to climb up the rocks to the very top and sit in the sun when I knew I had a free hour. But I gave that up. Why? I kept listening for the sound of the telegraph instrument or the ring of the little bell they used to call me. It was on my mind all the time, you see. It wasn't much of a relaxation, so I gave it up. I understand. Uh, a little while ago, Braxton, just before we came in here, you spoke of seeing a specter, a ghost. Yes, sir. I've seen it many times. Heard it, too. It's spoken to you? Yes, sir. When? First time was just about a year ago. Yes, sir. It was just a year ago this very night. What did it say? I was sitting here, reading. And suddenly I heard a voice cry out, Hello! Hello there! Where did this voice come from? I wasn't sure, sir. What did you do? Started up and looked out that door. And saw no one. Wish I had, sir. Or I wish I had seen someone like you standing at the top of the cut as you did tonight. Suppose you thought I was ungracious when you first introduced yourself to me. I didn't mean to appear that way, but it was because I was so startled you would use the very same words of the ghosts. Hello! Hello there! But what was it you saw that night? I saw someone standing near the red light at the entrance of the tunnel. Then the voice cried out again, and it seemed hoarse with shouting. Hello! Hello there! Look out! Well? Well, I up my lamp, turned it on red, and ran toward the figure, calling, What's wrong? What happened? Where? Did it answer? No. Just stood there outside the blackness of the tunnel. I ran right up to it, but as I stretched out my hand to pull at its sleeve, it, it vanished. It was someone's idea of a lark. They ran into the tunnel. No, because I ran into the tunnel, too. Just see, 500 yards or more. Then I stopped and held my lamp high overhead. Nothing save the numbers that held measured distance. With stains stealing down the walls, trickling through the arch, I, I ran out again faster than I'd run in. But dash it all, Braxton, in, in this day and age. I know. I didn't believe it either. Then, I did go back to the office and telegraph both ways down the line. An alarm has been given. Is anything wrong? The answer came back directly, both ways. Always. Surely that convinced you that the whole affair was a hoax, or else a figment of your own imagination. I can easily understand how it could have happened. 
That wind out there in this unnatural valley makes a wild harp out of the telegraph wires. And it could be mistaken for a human or inhuman cry of distress. Then the shadows... Pardon me, sir, but that is not the end of the story. You see, six hours later, that same night, one of the most horrible accidents took place. Within ten hours, the dead and the dying were brought to the tunnel and passed over the spot where the ghost had stood. Yes, I remember that, Frank. Frightful affair. Still, the appearance of your ghost on the same night may have had nothing to do with it. A remarkable coincidence. A coincidence? Yes. One that would make a very deep impression on you. Or me, or any man. But remarkable coincidences are continually taking place. True. But the same coincidence seldom occurs twice. Rarely three times. And never, I believe, four, or five, or six, or seven. You mean the same thing has happened again? Again, and again, and again. As I said, this particular accident was a year ago tonight. Six or seven months passed. And then one morning, just as the day was breaking, I saw the ghost again. Where? In the very same place. By the entrance to the tunnel. Did it cry out again? No. It was silent. It was leaning against the shaft of the signal lamp, with both hands before its face, like this. Did you go up to it? No, I came in here and sat down, partly to collect my thoughts, and partly because the sight had turned me faint. Went to the door again, the daylight was above me, and the ghost was gone. What happened after that appearance? Another accident? Yes. That very day, as the train came out of the tunnel, I noticed a flutter of white cloth. I saw it just in time to signal the engine driver with my flag and put on his brakes. But the train drifted 150 yards more into down the cut. You ran after it? Yes. They ran, I could hear terrible screams and cries of anguish. Well, a young woman, passing from car to car, stumbled and slipped down between. Death was practically instantaneous, with her companion who was screaming, carried her in here. A second coincidence. There were others. I can name you half a dozen. And it's the last week that is on my mind. Every night, the specter has appeared. But nothing has happened. Every night? Yes, I thought you were were he tonight when he called out. He always appears in the same place. Yes, at the danger line. What does he do? For the past seven nights, he has stood there with his left arm flung across his face, as though to shut out some horrid sight. And the white right arm he waves, as though to say, for the Lord's sake, clear the way. But he says nothing. That were only the case. And for many minutes, he calls to me, below there, look out, look out. Look out for what? Only I knew, sir. If I could but learn what he's warning me against. What is the danger? Where is the danger? What can I do? Nothing, Braxton. Except wait for some further word from your strange guest. Don't you understand? There's danger overhanging somewhere on the line. Some dreadful calamity is going to happen. Why not do what you did the first time? Telegraph in both directions. But they believed that I was mad. Because I could give no sane reason for the alarm. They would discharge me. What else could they do? I am mad. No. No, I don't think so. You're not well. You're sick in body and mind from being down here so long. And the responsibility of your post has gotten on your nerves. I wish I could believe that is what is wrong. You've got to believe it, Braxton. I'll tell you what. 
I'll look up some doctor who specializes in nervous disorders. And you must come with me to see him. Would this doctor be able to explain the ringing of the bell? What bell? That bell. The one over my desk. The one that the other operators on the line used to summon me. Well, ghost rings that frequently. Tonight? Yes. During the last few minutes. During the last few minutes? It hasn't rung, Braxton. You mean to say you haven't heard it? No. But, but it's ringing now. It's your imagination. The bell is not ringing. And probably it has never rung at any other time except when some station wishes to communicate with you. Listen! I tell you, the bell is not ringing. Not the bell outside! The ghost calling! I hear nothing. Save the moan of the wind in the wires. Standing out there by the danger light calling to me. Hello! Hello there! Look out! Look out! Braxton, no one is out there. When he first appeared, why didn't he tell me where the accident was to happen? If it must happen, why didn't he say how it could be averted? If it could have been averted? Braxton. And the second time, when he hit his face, why didn't he say, she is going to die? Let them keep her at home. Why? Stop it, Braxton. Stop it, I say. If he did that just to prove his warnings were true, so I'd believe him the third time, and the fourth, and the fifth. Why doesn't he warn me plainly now? God help me. Why doesn't he go to someone with the power to understand and the power to act? Braxton, get hold of yourself. I believe, I believe. But what can I do? What can I do? Listen to me, Braxton. Listen to me if you value your sanity. If you go on like this, you'll end up in an asylum. You'll put the whole affair out of your mind. How can I do that? By realizing that you're an intelligent, painstaking, and exact individual. You've allowed a series of events to upset your balance. Until you're on the brink of utter collapse. You've got to get a grip on yourself. You've got to, for your own sake. For the sake of your job. And the safety of those people whose lives depend on your performance of that job. I know. Don't you think I haven't told myself that over and over again? But you've got to do something about it. Come. We'll walk down to the danger light and see what we can see. There's probably some very logical explanation for the appearance of your ghost. Some combination of light and shadow that creates an optical illusion. Come along, Braxton. I'll put an end to your ghost, if you only could. There's your voice, I'll wager. It's that moaning wind. If you listen to that sound long enough, you might come to believe that there's a whole chorus of departed spirits. There's your danger light, shining ruby and bright. Yes, I, I trimmed it before you came. Do you see any sign of your ghostly visitor? No, he isn't there. You see, without belief, it does not exist. I don't believe it. There's no such thing as the supernatural. Therefore, he cannot appear to you. This is the spot where I first saw him. Here? No, not on the tracks. Over there, to the side. But that's impossible, Braxton. You couldn't see anyone there. But I did. You couldn't. It's too dark. The rays from the lantern don't fall in that direction. Nevertheless, I saw it. This is where he always stands. He was here last night, as I told you, with his left arm flung across his face as if to shut out some terrible sight, and waving the right arm frantically and calling, Hello there, look out, look out! And you were standing where? On the tracks, directly in front of the signal house. Very well, Braxton. I'm going to prove to you that you couldn't have seen him. I'm going to stand here on the spot you've designated. And I want you to walk down the track. Yes, sir. Stop when you come to the place where you were standing last night, and then turn around and see if you can see me. Very well, sir. I'm going to teach you.
the life that goes, Braxton. But this is the place, sir. Good. Now turn around. Yes, sir. Now, do you see me here in the shadows? No, sir. I can't. Well, doesn't that prove to you that you couldn't have seen anyone standing here last night? Or any other night? Yes, sir. I guess it does. And if you couldn't see the person, you couldn't see what he was doing. You couldn't see him wave, a, wave to you or throw his arm across his face. No, sir. Braxton. Braxton, look out. Below there, look out. Look out. Look out. I can't understand how it happened. Neither can I, sir. The light on the engine picked him up a quarter mile away. I whistled. There was plenty of time for him to step off the track. Didn't he make any move at all? No, sir. He was staring up towards the danger light at the entrance of the tunnel. I don't think Braxton even heard the whistle. I put on the air and tried to stop. But you can't do it in that distance. No. I know. It wasn't your fault, Grayson. Thankful I haven't got that on my mind. But it's got me upset, sir. You're not the only one. That journalist, uh, Darkin, I think his name was, was up in the hospital for observation. Had to strap him in bed. I can understand the shock he must have had. My late picked him up just after I whistled. And he stood there, waving at his arms at poor Braxton and yelling for him to get off the track. But didn't Braxton see him? He must have, sir. That's what I can't figure out. His back was turned my way, and he was staring right up the track toward the tunnel, and at this other chap. It's odd. Yes, sir. Just as the engine hit, Braxton, this writer chap, threw up his arms across his face, as though he were trying to shut out the sight. But he kept waving his other arm, frantic-like. Terrible accident. Yes, sir. One that I won't be able to forget in a long while. The train drifted into the tunnel for a few hundred yards before I could stop. Never forget that writer chap's face as we passed. It was white as death. Standing there by the danger light, he looked just like a ghost. Yes, sir. And he was still calling out, Below there! Look out! Look out! Look out! For more information, please visit sfpodcastnetwork.com on the interweb. Thank you for listening, and farewell from all of us at Decawatt Playhouse.